You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. What's up, music lovers? This is Modern Musicology, and you got Alan and Rob here this week. Rob, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you, sir? Hey, not too bad. How's your week been? Uh, Long. It's the last week of summer, I do believe, when we are recording this, so we're kind of uh, branching the uh, break between summer and winter, but it also means that the world of new music just comes cascading down upon us like an avalanche so i am bearing myself out of new music nice yeah i love this time of year i love all the new stuff too. that comes out it's exciting not as bad as november will be november like just tons of new stuff always drops yeah so we will have to address that when we get there but tonight we are talking about novelty songs now this is a topic that came to us from one of our regular listeners bill lamond and he told us i mean last year how much he loves novelty songs and what they mean to him and i told him hey we should do a whole show about novelty songs and you know just for you bill and we never got around to doing it so we put it on the schedule a few times and it kept getting bumped by like an interview would come up and other things would happen. So here we are finally getting to it. So Rob, kind of give me your personal definition of what novelty songs are. You know, I think novelty records are records that use music, like the regular convention form of like a song, pop song, to be funny, um, silly, or within the themes of like a holiday maybe. But they're, they're not... They are they are more silly pop records. They're parodies. They're holiday records that are kind of one-off single things. They're just records that are quirky and weird, but are made, I think, with the intention of being quirky and weird. In most cases, there's times when they're not, and they become novelty records. Right. But I also think that uh, novelty records are just here to be fun and uh, give us a little break from the world. Now you mentioned parody. I kind of, I kind of think of that. I mean, I think parody songs definitely are novelty songs, but I kind of think of them as two separate things. Like it's two separate yeah. approaches, you know, to yes. kind of doing the same thing. And so parody songs to me are maybe like a subset of novelty yes. songs. And yeah, there's a lot of subsets to novelty. Records, I think. Yeah. And we're going to get into some of those. So, but I thought maybe a good, jumping off point for this thing because i think when you think of novelty songs and especially when you think of parody songs the first name that comes to mind is weird al yankovic so i thought we would just talk about some of his stuff and then go from there into like the broader world of novelty songs because my gosh there is a lot of stuff that we can cover you know weird al sort of ushered in this era of novelty records in the 80s right because he, he came out with eat it I think Eat It was first. Eat It or I Lost in Jeopardy, whichever one was first. And after that, we got a whole little run of holiday records 
or novelty records. You know, we had the Elmo and Patsy Christmas record. We had Pac-Man Fever. Um, you know, we had a Donkey Kong song. And all of that kind of started because of, of, of Weird Al. And Weird Al kind of happened because of MTV, right? I mean, MTV just made Weird Al a star. And I yeah, think, that's the truth. And I think yeah. right, at, right as everyone was kind of like exhaling from Weird Al culturally, then Smells Like Nirvana came out and it all picked up again. And here we are. Here we are. And, you know, Weird Al still tours and packs yeah. venues everywhere he goes. So, you know, people love him, love that stuff. And not all of his stuff is parodies. A lot of his stuff is original things. And a lot of it has original spin on doing a parody. Like you remember uh, back in the 70s, there was this thing called Stars on 45. And he has yes. a song called Polka on 45. So he does a lot of like original takes on these things, too. Um, you mentioned Eat It. I think of Fat, you know, which is the other yeah. Michael Jackson parody that he did. Um, like a surgeon. Like a surgeon. Oh, my God. I really like Yoda. You know, I yeah. know it's a spoof of the kinks, but I just think musically it's right. it's much more interesting for, as a musical thing. Right. Another one rides the bus. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> and then there's the Brady Bunch one. Amish Paradise. That was an interesting one. Yeah, I know Anthony and I have talked at great length about how much we don't particularly love the uh, the Coolio version of that song. <laughs> but the Weird Al one is so funny and hysterical that it's, you know, and the way he turns phrases and makes it all work. Oh, the the uh, the police one. Is it King of Suede? Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, he did a, a parody of King of Pain by the police that's also okay. pretty fun. Too. I mean, just literally you'll think of these at the top of your head. And then you can just go on and on and on about Weird Al, Weird Al. But novelty records are not just Weird Al. <laughs> right. There is a broad world of the whole novelty record thing that goes back a long way, like decades back. Yeah. I think that the glut of novelty records we get in the 50s, right? Mm -hmm. 50s and 60s. I think culturally it's a reaction to the Cold War. Um, mm. And... I think a lot of it in the 50s is people are transitioning from rock and roll being dangerous and scary and all of that, you know, and corrupting our kids. They made records that were fun and silly and dumb to counteract that. We also get records that like, you know, there's there's five million Halloween records. And a lot of that is done just for fun. But some of this, I think, is because we really needed to, as a culture, let our hair down. Mm -hmm. um, so I think some of it is that. And I think some of it and some of the stuff you get in the 60s is just kind of a reaction to the counterculture that's going on. There are some novelty records in like the 20s and 30s that got made. I don't know very much about them, but I know that they, people made mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's part of it, you know. As well. I think that it really exploded in the 50s. And I think yeah. that the point you make about reaction to the Cold War is, is very interesting. And thinking about that, there's this guy called Dickie Goodman, who I know, I mean, he did it for decades. And I know his stuff from the 70s because I heard them on the radio when I was a kid. But uh, he did, uh, his first record came out in 56. It was a, it's called Flying Saucer. And it was sort of a rewrite. It was kind of based on the Orson Welles War of the Worlds radio broadcast. And it was the subject of a copyright case. And what yeah. he did was he sort of invented 
this uh, this format where he would use short snippets from pop songs, you know, from like hits and do it in sort of an interview slash conversational kind of way. He would do these recordings where you hear one person speaking to another person and the other person's answers come in the form of these little bits from recognizable songs, uh, either a, either a really known line from the chorus or something like that. And so his first one in 56, Flying Saucer, uh, based on the Orson Welles thing, was the subject of a, of a copyright case because he was using these uh, snippets from uh, existing recordings without permission. And it went all through the court system and it was ruled that this is parody and parody falls under fair use. So after that, he just ran with this up through, I think he died in 80 something and he ran. I mean, he did these things up through the mid 80s. But in 1959, he did one called Russian Bandstand, which is a parody of American Bandstand, which, of course, was a, you know, like our top of the pops, basically. And it's so interesting because when you talk about the the Cold War and that whole situation with Russia that was going on at the time, this is this is a a music show broadcast in Russia, and they say you know this is the number one song you know in in Russia, and people would say we don't like that song, and and the Russian officials say yes you do this is the number one song, but we don't like that song, so they gun them down. They shoot down anybody who doesn't like the number one song that the government has decreed to be the number one song. So it's a funny record, but it's also really dark. Yeah, <laughs> it's got definitely an edge about it. And there's a lot of stuff behind some of that stuff, too. You know, I mean, yeah. And a lot of it, too, is because the a lot of it feeds off the movies that were coming out at the time. The boom in science fiction films. Because yeah. there's a there's a there's a, I can't remember the name of it, but there is one on the blob. There's like. Mm -hmm. a thousand right, records right. about zombies like um you and i this our younger um listeners will be running to wikipedia but there was a game show host and actor who appeared on the love boat several times named burt condy oh right? yeah and he did a novelty record in 1958 called the monster's hop right which is kind of yeah. um, kind of a novelty record but it very much captures sort of like the goofy sci-fi films of the time so i know you know, we talk about the Cold War. A lot of that Cold War stuff kind of fed some of the sci-fi movies at the time, too. And probably the comics and things, you know, the comics as well, too, right? So I think that they're part of that popular culture of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think when we get to the 80s again with Weird Al, I think some of that is sort of the reaction of that the Cold War was a little bit more heightened mm. in the 80s. We kind of had a lull a little bit in the 70s, and it's kind of coming back in the in the 80s when we were really worried about you know, um, yeah, the whole Star Wars campaign and all that stuff and the day after and all that stuff and yeah. the day. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if there was ever a parody record or a, a novelty record made about the day after. There's got to be somebody probably. Had yeah. A little now. yeah, yeah, there's got to be, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, yeah, there's so many records um, that it's impossible to keep track of. The 50s alone is just a gold mine for that stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. You got the I, I for me like the big launching point that made me really explore this stuff was the the flying people eater the one eyed whatever one eyed one horn one flying, horn, purple, flying people purple people eater, people eater. yes yeah the Chev Willie song I think from fifty eight mm -hmm. and then I think that sort of 
led us to the uh, to the Beatles of the novelty records, which is the Monster Mash by oh, Boris yeah. Pickett. You know, which Boris Pickett, man, you talk about a guy. I know a guy who can milk it. He did like fifty thousand other novelty records, just blatantly copyright copy uh, piggybacking off of the Monster Mash. Mm. Um, all the way to this. I mean, he rode that one trick pony as quick as we can. And it gets interesting because the novelty record is kind of also close, closely associated with like the one hit wonder, right? So we kind of have to make the distinction that novelty records are kind of made with the understanding that we're not going to have a career doing this, right? Um, well, but some people did. Some people know? did, yes. Yeah. I mean, Weird Al certainly made coin off of that. Yeah. And then uh, Ray Stevens. I was going to say Ray Stevens, man, he rode that train as far as he could. And those are some of the, and I was going to ask you what the first, if you can think of what the first novelty record may have been that you ever heard. And I'll bet you that mine was a Ray Stevens track. It had to be, I mean, those old, uh, he was more of a country artist and there's a number of really interesting uh, country novelty records especially from that period from like the late 60s early 70s and i'll just bet you that ray stevens was the first time i ever heard a, a novelty song the streak was huge oh man and, yeah the streak yeah um, um, mississippi squirrel revival guitarzan which is hilarious um one that i i re-listened to today because i i was like i wonder if this is as cringy as i imagine it is and that is Ahab the Arab. And yes, it oh, does yeah. not sound very uh, good today. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. And I remember a lot of this for me comes around the mid seventies. So I remember the, with the star Wars fad. Oh that's yeah. Going on, the Nico star Wars album. Yep. I remember that big. And I have a seven inch single of R2D2. Where are you in the back is what do you get a Wookiee for Christmas when he already owns a comb? Oh, that's right. right. I wouldn't, I forgot all about that. And then later they released the Lopty neck single from uh, return of the Jedi as a single. So for me, it kind of started by my nerddom and then yeah. the, um, the, the star trekking from the firm and then the star Wars records, those kind of got me jump started. And right around the same time you get convoy right oh, from God. the film which begs the question is the novelty record on purpose or not and that was kind of a case where it became a novelty record mm -hmm. where i don't think it was intended to be which right. is a whole separate beast right but those are some of the early ones i re i remember and then like you know obviously all this stuff like uh hello mudda hello fada oh, that God. one yeah. and then the uh the one that really frightened me a lot was uh shut up of your face <laughs> the guy was australian who did that uh, joe dulcie um was australian and he did a song called Shut Up Your Face. And he sings it with an Italian accent. And um, never play that record in Little Italy in New York, by the way. Just just don't. And then, you know, obviously Weird Al broke. But I remember when Pac-Man Fever came out. Yeah. By Buckner and Garcia. If, God, how, do I, how the hell do I remember that? Um, that I remember hearing that, like, on the radio. I think I heard that record before I heard Weird Al. I think. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a minor, minor hit. So oh, yeah. I, I think for me, it was kind of the mid seventies and then going into the eighties. That's kind of where I discovered it. But I was aware of some of the stuff before it, like the flying purple people eater and the monster mash. Those are probably the two big. And I guess it depends if you consider like the twist anomaly record, you know, but stuff like that, you know, the twist, the camp Granada record later, I would, I would discover other things, you know, like my dingling, you know, some other stuff, you know, just, I know that record. <laughs> <sighs>
one of the I, okay so if if my first one that i ever heard wasn't a ray stevens song then it had to have been a boy named sue by johnny cash and that song i still love and it's about this and it's and it's a very ballady kind of song in the sense mm -hmm. that it tells this story and it's from the point of view of the narrator so it's it's a guy telling his story and he grew up with this uh father this deadbeat father who named him sue and he had all these things happening, got in all these fights and everything. And he realized that um, being named Sue was what made him tough. He got he gets to the end of the song and he and it kind of like comes down to a really quiet moment. He's like basically says, and, and if I ever have a son, I'm going to name him George, Tom, Jim, anything but Sue. <laughs> it's very good. And it was a it was a live recording of it. I don't know that he ever recorded it. Uh, like a studio track, but it was a live thing that was released as a single and it was a huge hit. So it had to be that or Ray Stevens. That was the first novel I song think, I ever heard. And I don't think Cash intended that to be a novelty record. No, right? I don't but think it's it, kind of was. See, yeah, that's one of those ones though that I don't think he did either, but it sort of became that. It sort of became thought of in that term, in those terms. The same thing as the twist and all those like, mm -hmm. dance, you know, this. The other thing you get in the 50s, too, is a wide range of, like, records about dances. Right. <laughs> um, my personal all-time favorite novelty record that has to do with the dance is The Lurch by Ted Cassidy. Oh, yeah. And if you get a chance, the video for it is great because he was on, like, American Bandstand and um, Shindig and all these shows at the time. I just, I just think it's a hoot. It's so stupid because he does the entire record in character mm -hmm. as The Lurch, mm -hmm. right? which has to hurt when you're singing that has to hurt. So you have to, like, that, you know, I think that most of the records of that time are caused by a reaction to the cold war or just people wanting to dance pretty much every sort of repressed feeling of self-expression was released through a novelty record. Hmm. So when you talked about novelty records that were sort of a reflection of the culture at the time and inspired by whatever was the hot movie or, or TV show like Star Trek and Dickie Goodman, back to that guy, uh, yeah. the ones that I remember from the 70s, the first one of his that I ever heard is called Mr. Jaws. And it still cracks me up. I still love it, man. And it's basically I'm a not retelling. Sure I've heard this. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's basically uh, retells the plot of the movie Jaws from the point of view of a reporter who's interviewing people about the shark attacks. And he interviews oh, wow. the, 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 the fish too, you know, the shark. <laughs> and it is so funny. And it's like, you know, he interviews the, the people who saw it and the people who were trying to track down Jaws and, and he's like, Mr. Jaws, why are you grabbing my hand? And then it cuts to the song. Wouldn't you give your hand to a friend? It's so ridiculous and so funny. Um, but Dickie Goodman commented on everything that happened during the decades that he made these records. You know, it wasn't just movies and stuff. 79, he had a song called Energy Crisis, which was about the end of the Carter uh administration mm -hmm. and the whole situation with the that was going on at the time the energy crisis and it is a really good one and then 1980 he does a song about the election and he has you know song snippet as quotes from reagan and carter and it's just it's just great i love all of those records they're so ridiculous 
Wow, I'm gonna have to check those out. Oh yeah, Mr. Jaws, man, it is a classic. The the other thing um, that I remember too as a kid being a big deal that terrifies me now is uh, Disco Duck. Yeah, baby, I remember that, that so thing, well. That thing was everywhere. Yeah, right? um, Rick D's, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, and a lot of DJs made these too, which I think is also yeah. interesting. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times it's a money grab, but Disco Duck oh, was sure. just like, it's from start to finish. It's just absolutely horrible, but <laughs> people love it. Yep. You know, there was another one from around that same time, too, that I remember really well, and it was called the Bertha Butt Boogie. And oh, it is in so it's basically it's sort of a like a funk track. It's very very mm-hmm. much a classic R and B track, and it's by the Jimmy Castor Bunch. And there was <laughs> yeah. and so it was called the Bertha Butt Boogie. There was a sequel which uh, fed into the Star Wars thing called Bertha Butt Encounters Vader. Mm-hmm. Insane. And he had a, he had another one called King Kong, which is really really funny. I mean those things. Um, and he did other ones too. Like there was one, I think this was him. Um, Shaft meets Superfly. I think it was Jimmy Castor that did those, where he's building on two different black movie franchises, basically. And my god, they're so fun! Hilarious. You know, this also reminds me too of um, when I was younger, I would hear they're coming to take me away. Oh, yeah, the 14th. And then the Charlie, a lot of this because it was on Happy Days, the Charlie Brown song by the Coasters, you know, um, the Coasters who had a legitimately long career as artists yep. make more money in royalties off of Charlie Brown than any of their other records, which is, mm-hmm. I know you talked about Ahab the Arab, that that's another one I remember. It's so awful. Um, <laughs> God, yeah, it's just bad. And then, you know, the other one that I realized I was introduced when you were talking that I was introduced as a small child, but I never thought of as a novelty record was the Shirley Ellis, the name game. Oh yeah. Which, you know, I think everybody in between kindergarten and third grade has to do the name game you Mm -hmm. know, on the playground or something. So that was another one. I remember Gilda Radner on SNL doing that as Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, which, you know, her name was basically based on that song. And oh god, it's so funny. And I know she and didn't it, intend it to be a funny song, but and, it's... and there's a whole string of SNL people doing novelty records too, which is interesting. Mm. Yeah, like the the Blues Brothers, Blues Brothers, and then also my sister played the Holy Daylights out of that Steve Martin record. Yes, the one with, with King Tut on it. King Tut, I my, love that song so much. Ah, uh, it's very clever, and you can it you can really see, is you can see Steve Martin's sort of current musicianship in in that when you listen to it, but like. Just the enthusiasm he had, you know, and just the way it works, the choruses and stuff. It's actually quite funny. A favorite line in that is, and there's a lot of them. I mean, basically every line is very clever, you know, like born in Arizona, moved to Babylonia. That's so funny. But <laughs> yeah. my favorite line is um, he could have won a Grammy buried in his jammies. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, But man, I love that. And, you know, I watch that at least once a year and just laugh my butt off because it's so funny. And seeing him do it on SNL live with the house band, you know, and he's in Mm -hmm. costume and he does his goofy little dance. And it's just the funniest thing. Yeah. 
And then the the Blues Brothers, yes. Ackroyd and Belushi, they released a, an album and uh, had a couple of big hits. And the first one was their cover of Soul Man, which was really good. But then they did a cover of a song called Rubber Biscuits, which is essentially a novelty song. And it's absolutely silly. And but it's really good. But they had a they had a nice little run of a, of a couple of big hits around that time, like legit radio hits. And they toured too. I mean, they were there. Yeah. That was a real thing, right? Yeah. I think that's probably the closest thing to like novelty records having sort of staying power that we had until Weird Al, you know? Um, yeah. Because it was the whole culture of, of the Blues Brothers. It was fantastic. Right. And I remember when um, Eddie Murphy released Party All the Time. Yeah, dear God. Everyone, everyone thought there were going to be more hits from that record, and there weren't. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his comedy albums were fantastic, but eh, yeah. not that so much. Yeah. But I remember, you know, I mean, we talked about that one in one of our previous shows. But you know what? One that we haven't talked about and it's talking about um, performers like not that you don't think of as musicians who you know, now people do think of him as a musician first, I think. Um, and that is Bill Moomy from originally from Lost um, in Space and you yeah. know, has done a million other things but when he was 16 years old he and his best friend did a, a a little band together called barnes and barnes and their whole shtick was just releasing silly songs and they did it just for fun and they did it just to entertain themselves and then his friend um had some connection to the dr demento show and he said yeah. hey let's let's record some of these things like like proper recording and see if we can get them on the show and they did and yeah you know, of course everybody knows fish heads which is just the silliest song ever made and uh, they did a little film. So very, very early example of a music video. They did a little film to go along with it. And they did this great, well, great in quotes. And that is a, a mashup of the Beatles and a very popular sitcom at the time. And it's called A Day in the Life of Green Acres. Mm -hmm. Just insane. And yeah. uh, one of the other ones that they got on Dr. Demento was Boogie Woogie Amputee. <laughs> terrible oh yeah. my gosh and of course bill has gone on to do a lot of music over the years and recorded albums and worked with other artists and written songs yeah. for artists and he's currently got a band with uh one of the calcils i don't remember which one it is who whichever one is married to uh vicky peterson of the Bengals. and the three of them have a have a band together and i've listened to some of their stuff and it's great but he yeah, started out his musical career with fish heads <laughs> Who would have thought, right? Who would have thought? Yeah. Of course, true. he was you 16. Know, what do you know at 16? But the, that thing has a ton of staying power. That Barnes yeah. & Barnes record never really went away. And yeah. it also played into sort of the counterculture of the time, too. It's just kind of like psychedelic and weird enough at mm -hmm. the time that people... True. Would, because um, it doesn't sound like a normal record. It doesn't sound like yeah. people made this record, you know? Because it has the voices have a weird quality to them. And the music is kind of like off-kilter. And it just yeah. throws you at first, especially, you not, know, at, when we were kind of young when that record came out. So it was yeah. unlike anything else. Yeah. The try to take a fish head to the movies didn't have to pay to get him in. Right. It's just brilliant. It's just it's stupidly brilliant. And I heard the song a long time before I ever knew that it was Bill Moomy who did yeah. it. Like I saw 
I saw the video on television and I know I heard the song on the radio and I knew that song for years before I learned it was Bill Noomi. And when I learned that I was, I, I was dubious. I did not believe that Bill Noomi, who I grew up watching on lost in space had recorded that song. <laughs> yeah. It's oh my God. Crazy. It's so bizarre. Well, you know, talking about Miko, which we talked about the Star Wars theme earlier, which was an enormous hit. They also did the theme from Close Encounters. So yes. they were, most of their stuff was tied to Star Wars and they did ones for um, not only that first movie that came out in 1977, but the two sequels as well. But they also did a, a, a disco version of theme from Close Encounters, which yeah, you know, I is, is I very dancey. Some, I think I have that somewhere because I think my brother had it. Oh yeah, um, your brother yeah, had every had... record that ever existed. No, he just had a crazy collection of forty fives, and I think if it was a record that you could get high to and laugh, he probably had it. <laughs> um, gotcha. Yeah, um, I was trying to remember who did it earlier, but I'm glad you cleared that up. Oh yeah, Miko, man, they were the disco parody kings or yes. queens. I don't even know who was in that band or anything. Yeah, um, I just remember that name because I was like. Uh, I, you know, I was all on board in 1977 with the Star Wars craze because the sci-fi magazines were writing about it, writing from like, you know, doing set reports and on location reports and stuff for at least a year before that movie came out. So by the time the movie hit, I was like primed and ready for it. So I ate anything that had anything to do with Star Wars at that time. And when that record came out, I was like, dude. It's the Star Wars theme and it's disco and it's on the radio. I loved it. Yeah. So what about, uh, we talked about Eddie Murphy. So comedians, Julie Brown, homecoming Queens got a gun. They played that at the juice bar that I used to go to. Um, <laughs> they played, they played that. And then they also played Johnny. Are you queer? Right. Those oh yeah. The two, the two big that, that, they, that they played, but I remember the homecoming Queens got a gun. Which, you know, I listened to probably about four or five months ago again for the first time in ages. That song is totally not appropriate right now, right? <laughs> um, right. It's not appropriate exactly. then, but it's really not appropriate now. Right. Um, Absolutely. Julie Brown was, was, was a, you know, she had a great voice and she could sing too, which was good. But yeah. yeah. And for the record, for people who only know MTV, we are not talking about downtown Julie Brown. This is a comedian called Julie Brown who came up before downtown Julie Brown ever came to America from London. So yeah. different, different Julie Browns. Yes, completely. Uh, another one of my favorite ones, uh, Frank Zappa recorded a song back in when he was uh, with the Mothers of Invention. And um, it's a great song. And his son re-recorded it. Dweezil recorded it uh, in the 80s in a very different, uh, he kind of did a, a different arrangement of it, very heavier rock. And it's called My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama. Oh my God, I love that song wow. so much. <laughs> and I love awesome. Dweezil's version because it's very, very 80s rock and very heavy guitar and stuff. I love it. Nice. Personal favorites. You know, some things became novelty records kind of like rock me amadeus um, oh yeah oh i wouldn't even have thought of that but yeah you're and right. um the screaming blue messiahs i want to be a flintstone which was oh, all God. over 100 oh, and that's then funny. um i think i think in a weird sort of way 
uh, Take the Skinheads Bowling has kind of become a novelty <laughs> record. Maybe Planet Claire, you know. Um, True. And, you know, talking about the B-52s, they did, and again, talking about the Flintstones, they did two songs for that Flintstones movie that came out in the late 80s, and they mm -hmm. did them under the name the BC-52s, which I thought was super clever. And, and they did yeah, yeah, they did a version of the uh, the Flintstones theme song, and they did another song that I'm not thinking of the name of right off the top of my head. But I I went to see that movie only because the B-52s were in it. And Fritz Schneider did, had a thing called the Superions, and he did this novelty record called Who Threw That Ham at Me? Yeah. Uh, about oh, when he went right. to a grocery store. Yeah. Um, so I love that one. Um but you know, all of his yeah, stuff can kind of be thought of as sort of novelty because he has <laughs> yeah. that weird, quirky sense of humor, you know, um, like there's a, oh, monster. There's a monster in my pants. Oh God, that's so yes. funny. So yeah. funny. You know, we, we talked a little bit about MTV and you will remember this, but MTV had a make your own video contest. And if it's good, we'll put it on. Oh, and that gave us Baltimore and Tarzan boy, which is like this one off. Yeah. Just catchy as all get up really annoying pop record. Um, yeah. That's kind of a novelty record too. God, I would never uh, have thought of that. I'm glad you, and I'm glad Walk you like an Egyptian is kind of a pop record too, right? What kind um, of a novelty record you mean? Yeah. This one it definitely yeah. is a pop record. It's a pop record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, that's true. It definitely doesn't fit the, the style that the Bengals were going for yeah. at the time. And, and it's, it's very, it very kind of different. Became one. It wasn't yeah. intended to be one, but it kind of became one. Yeah. And then for, for me, um, almost the Holy grail of just stupid novelty records is a con taken as a concept of like on steroids is the Ethel Merman disco album. Oh dear Lord. Right. No, thank Which you. basically Ethel Merman went into a studio. There was a producer that already had the music and stuff. Oh, and yeah. she's just like, just sing it. And uh, I'll put the music on it. She didn't even want to stick around for the music. She's like, you got a half hour. So she basically sang all the songs in a half an hour, got a, got a briefcase full of money and left and had nothing else to do with it. Why? Why? Right. That's, that's one of the best things about novelty records. So sometimes we just go, why you know sometime we need to do an episode about disco yes we do because we need to we need i think we seriously need to talk about all yes we how, do. how hugely popular disco became and the anti-disco reaction and all the other artists mm -hmm. and all the other people like actors and stuff like that who jumped on that disco bandwagon yeah i think that's the, a fascinating i yeah, yeah i would love music. to do that the the other thing that i was thinking of too is the ruddles yeah true which i mean obviously some of the monty python stuff has kind of become novelty records th th those ruddles records i mean that's much like spinal tap well right? i was going to say if you if you if you mention the ruddles then the next thing you have to think of is spinal tap the, i think of those both as you know sort of i don't necessarily think of them as novelty records because i think they're both good enough that they sort of transcend the mm -hmm. chintzy novelty record kind of thing. Sure. But they also do kind of fit in that niche. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then we haven't, uh, I knew it was going to come to this, but we haven't touched on the myriad of bizarre William Shatner novelty, novelty records. Oh my um, God. But also to counter that the brilliance of Bilbo Baggins by Leonard Nimoy, which is still fantastic. Mm. Legend of Bilbo Baggins by oh Leonard Nimoy. Oh my Nimo, gosh, dude. Terrific. <laughs> but the William Shatner novelty records are just 
man, they're just a train wreck. Just, just say no. Yeah. Like, yeah. And if anybody yeah. hasn't heard any of those Bill Shatner records, go look for them. They're, I, I, they're insane. Yeah. I think though, that my absolutely all time, a number one favorite novelty record, it might be one of yours too. It's probably in your, in your, in your, uh, your oeuvre is uh, the Time Lord's Doctor and the TARDIS, um, <laughs> which I was, rec I didn't even know this thing was coming out. I was in West End Wax, which was the record store I went to a lot as, as a high schooler. I'm flipping through the records and I see this thing called the Time Lords. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. What is this? And then I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. I think I've got, I've got multiple 12 inch singles. I've got a three inch CD, a CD single, a couple different sets. I think I own that thing on like 15 different versions of that thing. Right. <laughs> um, but it's still probably my favorite record just because it crosses into so many things that I enjoy. Right. Um, yeah. And I, you know, and it's a novelty record that was made with just the sheer design of this is a novelty record. That's going to make money, which I love. So mm. tiny Tim's still out there. Like, oh, again, God. why the hell is anyone listening to tiny Tim? It's just, uh, who ever listened to that? It can't be for pleasure. Yeah, I, I don't understand that, right? I just don't get it. You know, and then when, like when Pee Wee Herman was in the height of Pee Wee Herman, uh, Surfenberg by the Trashman sort of mm. came back into vogue. Pee Wee Herman actually did it in a movie, and I, I think that got released as a single too. Mm. Um, but there's that, you know. Um, and then we get sort of the 90s, we get, which is the one of the frightening things about this is it's been revived. But um, Barbie Girl by Aqua. Yeah. I would be, you know, that, that's sort of making a comeback now. Oh, definitely. Um, Anything Barbie know. is hot right now. <laughs> and then, you know, the other trauma that I had in the 80s was the Rep and Rodney record, the Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, thing. my God. I've forgotten all about that. That thing was horrible. Oh, it was horrible. Uh, horrible. You know, I just thought it was like, this is the worst, stupidest thing I've ever heard. We did talk a little bit about Saturday Night Live and Novelty Records. I do think that the Hanukkah song and both the Thanksgiving song by Adam Sandler were yeah. both these kind of odd moments at a time when nobody was really sort of doing this. It sort of just came out of nowhere yeah. and it's had a moment and it's yeah. out there. I think those, I think those are brilliant. And since you mentioned that we talked uh, earlier in, in the beginning about the seasonality of these things and there are, and when I was first putting my list together, the first, like couple of things that I thought of as favorites are Christmas novelty records. And when I started kind of looking into it, there are a million Christmas novelty records. So I was thinking I wasn't going to put any of those on my list for tonight's show because we're planning on Me doing a, a Christmas music show in December. And I'm going to save some of my favorite novelty records, but we could do yeah. a full episode on just holiday novelty records halloween yeah. and christmas together you could make a two episodes out of the other the a million of them which the, shocks me the other yeah there's a ton there's a ton of them the other thing i wanted to kind of touch on too is i, I think it was the late 80s i don't know if it's the early 80s or the late 80s but we got that whole run of hooked on classics records yeah i think it's right when a lot of the swing stuff became public domain that like Everybody mm. was kind of doing that. It was just kind of like, Ugh, stop it. And I know, I know we're going to get tons of people saying, oh, you forgot this and oh, you forgot that. But there literally are so many, you know, right. just, well, we talk about Dr. Demento. 
right? But Wolfman Jack played tons of novelty records. There's just no way we can get to them. And that's fine. You know, I hope we do hear from people about ones that we didn't get to on this because I, I want to hear some of the ones that people like that we didn't talk about. And the more that we hear from, the more chance there is of us doing the second episode of whole new things that we didn't talk about on this one. So yeah. email us at modernmusicology1 at gmail.com and let us know. Or if you find our posts on any of the socials, just give us a response and let us know, hey, dum-dums, you forgot X, you know? So uh, let us know and we'll get to that in a, another future show. And Bill, I hope you got some suggestions on some new novelty songs that you may not have heard of before that you would love to listen to. I hope you enjoy some of them. So that wraps it up for us. We're going to take a short break here to throw in an ad from one of our fellow network podcasts, and we will be right back in 30 seconds. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. I'm Tony Heath. And we host the Watchathon a Rassilon. A podcast where we're watching through all of classic Doctor Who. Nope, we've already done that. We did? Well, then now what do we do? What do we two do? We review New Who. Ooh, we two review New Who? We do. Just for you. Who? Not you, them, the listeners of the podcast. Ah. The Watchathon of Rassilon. Now we review New Who too. Woohoo! All right, here we are. So, Rob, it has been a couple of weeks since we've mm. done um, picks of the week. So, I know you probably have a billion things, and I do too. Uh, I can't remember all of them, but I, I have either. a couple. Yeah. So, so tell me some of the ones that you uh, have been listening to lately and are, are coming across your path. The biggest thing that has me excited is completely unannounced to the world. We got oh. a brand new record from the National. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's called Laugh Track. They basically said, oh, hey, we have an album. Here it is. It's out. And there it was. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, I did not think I was going to be excited about this because I kind of thought that the well had run dry. But uh, Long in the Tooth is the new single from Modern English. Oh. And it does not sound like a Modern English song. It's really good. But the album mm. is called One, Two, Three, Four. Um, mm. That's really, really good. Um, there's a band... Uh, from Mexico, from Tallulah, Mexico, called uh, Mirror Revelations, who have an album called Aura. So if you like things like Bedroom or Ride or things like that, it's kind of in that vein. Uh, the new Slow Dive, Slow Dive is finally out as well. Everything is alive, so I'm a fan of that. Sally Shapiro, who is from, they're a band, there's two of them, but they're named after the singer. Sally Shapiro is from Sweden, and she just released a uh, an ITEL disco uh, version of the Pet Shop Boys Rent. Hmm. Uh, that I tell disco thing is coming back really hard in a lot of the dance music coming out of Europe right now. You get it on the new Hot Chip and some other stuff. So um, I'm pretty excited about that. There's a new couple new soft cell remixes that are out for some older songs. OMD has just done two new singles from their album, Baja Staircase. So I'm excited about that. I am excited about the Mick Harvey and Amanda Acevedo record. Mick Harvey was in the Bad Seeds. Um, with Nick Cave and Amanda Acevedo is a, uh, a Latin American singer. And they did a cover of Love is a Battlefield by oh Pat Benatar. Gosh. Oh, I need to hear that this. Is just, yeah, um, it's, it's a cover of Love is a Battlefield, and it's fantastic. It's It slows it down completely. It is unrecognizable from the other version. Um, but I, I really like that a lot, too. And then um, 
the single is out. The album is coming, but his lordship have a single out called Buzzkill that is uh, pretty great. It's the closest thing to that like branch between 50s rock and roll and style and aesthetic in the 90s when we broke the, the White Stripes. It's kind of like it's kind of like a, an early White Stripes record, but it's also got some of that 50 stuff going on in it as well. So I think that's that's my broad range. And Sleepy Kitty, who we've talked about ad nauseum as well. <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot of time recently listening to some Sleepy Kitty, which I have yeah. thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and if anybody hasn't gone and checked out their most recent album, Blessing Curse, which came out just a couple of months ago, go listen to it. It is great. So. I've got a lot of weird stuff um, that I've been in. It's just all over the map. So first of all, I don't think we've really talked about this much, but, uh, you know, some of our Britpop faves, Blur, has yeah. new music out. And um, I have really been enjoying it. I mm -hmm. have really, really liked it. And they're one of those bands that has, you know, stylistically gone, you know, like all across the map uh, in their career. So you never know what you're going to get when you get new stuff from them. But I've really, really been liking their their new stuff. Um, good stuff. Go look for it. Yeah. Um, Fleetwood Mac has put out an album called Rumors Live, which is a show from the Rumors Tour. It's from the Forum in L.A. And I've been listening to it and it's very good. It's, um, you know, it's a single show, whereas like their 1980 live album was from it was collected from different shows. So they kind of were able to pick and choose some of the best versions of each song that they put on the album. But that album also included some like they did, you know, just horsing around kind of songs uh, like a cover of a Farmer's Daughter. Um, then they did them in sound checks and things like that just to warm up. And they did like a, they always used to do like a show just for friends and family and crew as kind of like their last dress rehearsal before the tour starts. And so there's a couple of things from that. But this one, this Rumors live album is from the L.A. Forum in 1977. August of 1977. And um, it's just a, you know, top to bottom, straightforward show. It's very good. The song arrangements are basically exactly what you always heard from them in the 70s and early 80s. But, you know, you, so you know what to expect. But it's interesting to hear different and, and less produced versions of these songs. So it's really good. One of the things that I've been listening to a lot, there is certain gaps in my music knowledge base that I always intend to go and fill these gaps. And I keep thinking, you know, if I'm going to host a music podcast, then I need to, I need to be a true music encyclopedia and I need to fill these gaps. And so one of those big gaps is the cure and the Smiths. So I have been investigating the back catalog of both of those bands and have really been enjoying getting to know, like, I don't know why I never really got into those bands. You know, they just weren't on my radar at the time they happened. And then, you know, later on, I just never jumped back to hear them. But I'm really enjoying it. And I'm really enjoying getting to know these bands that I should have known all along and knew of and knew, you know, certain songs from and liked a few things and didn't like other things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's nice to investigate these things and um, kind of, you know, get get my mind where it ought to have been all along and we have and, a new johnny marr single so it's yeah all true goes back it all yeah true back. i love that guy 
I think yeah, he's I think a, he's such a good songwriter. Uh, he's the key to the Smiths for me, right? I mean, I, oh, yeah. is the is the section, you know, um, right? And the Cure. I mean, I could totally see this because the Cure. If you don't want to, I mean, the first couple of records, you get all the way up to pornography. It is not necessarily the easiest listening because there's not definitive hits, right? right? But I think when no, you get like fine. boys don't, yeah, right. But I mean, it's it, it it it's kind of a slog because it's like, oh boy, you know, just. Keep it going. Like, okay, you're sad. I get it, right? Um, but like, when you get to like the singles compilation and they put them all together, that's great. Head on the door is probably one of my favorites, just hmm. because it's the most listenable all the way through, where you don't have to like really have to be in a headspace to hear it. But you know, I think he is really underappreciated as a, as a as a writer and a musician. He's really mm -hmm. got some best and disintegration. Still, that whole yeah. album just. Yeah. It's an I mean it's it's an album. It's not necessarily a a record with singles and stuff. I mean it's mm -hmm. it's really really good. And then when we we're recording this two nights ago, I went to I'm in Atlanta. I went to oh. Chastain and saw Sting on his current tour. Man. And the last time I saw Sting was five years ago, almost exactly five years ago. I mean it was like it was like the night before five years ago i saw the sting and shaggy tour and holy smokes that was a good show because shaggy man he just brought that energy to it and it was so good and the two of them just played off each other and you could tell that you know because sting is kind of a serious guy and he's got a sense of humor but it's very reserved you know and he just seemed like he was having fun on that in that show and i man it was so good but last night or two nights ago I saw Sting and it was really good. I mean, he's 71 years old and he still has the pipes. There were a few songs that some of the early police songs that they lowered the key on. So he doesn't have to sing as high, but then there were other ones that they didn't. So I was kind of confused about that. Um, like why he felt comfortable singing some of the early police stuff in his original register and other ones he didn't, I don't know, but it was basically a greatest hit show with like three three or four songs three songs i think from his most recent album the bridge and it was just a really really good show um good band speaking of bands his son joe joe sumner was the opening act and bizarrely he comes out with his acoustic guitar and he's he's doing his song and halfway through the first song i'm like hang on there aren't any other musicians on stage with him. So he's basically singing and playing acoustic guitar to a track because I'm guessing, I don't know, there, there was no band. It was just him and a guitar and you hear all this bass and drums and backing vocals and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, there's nobody doing that stuff. I saw St. So, Vincent do that and it really uh, threw me. It's just it odd. Me. And I, I had, I played out this scenario in my head, which was like, uh, Sting says, hey, boy, you want to come on tour with me and be my opening act? Yeah, Pop, can I bring my band? Absolutely not. So it was so strange. <laughs> but the nice thing about that was that there was very little break in between opening act and main court, main set, because all you had to do was unplug Joe's guitar, kick him off stage, and, you know, you're set. You're ready for the, the main band to come on. So it was literally 15-minute break. And Sting is on and doing his thing. And I was like, okay, I like it when they don't, you don't have to wait for 
half an hour, 45 minutes for the main yeah. band to come. So it was, it was a really fun night. And, and for an outdoor venue, we had a, like a chance of rain with this stupid hurricane that's off the, you know, coming up on our coast, but perfect weather the whole night. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So next week we are going to be talking about this new documentary about hypnosis, which are one of the graphic design teams that did a slew of classic album covers back in the seventies and eighties. And it's called circling the square or no, sorry. It's called squaring the circle. And, um, it's about the career of, uh, hypnosis and it's got all these amazing rock stars talking about working with hypnosis to produce their album covers and it is a great documentary and i can't wait for us to talk about it and they literally got everybody to talk oh my god peter yeah. gabriel pete townsend paul mccartney i mean it's a it is star studded it is a good documentary so i hope you'll join us for that so, Rob, tell folks where they can hear more of your velvety tones. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you can hear me uh, Wednesday nights on KDHX on uh, juxtaposition from 7 to 9 Central Time. Um, all the shows are archived for two weeks, so you listen to them on the archive stream. Um, if you miss it, so you can go do your thing, and then when you're home and you want to listen later, you can do that. Also, on Mondays, Six to eight English time, one to three Eastern, 12 to two Central is Antics on Louder Than War Radio. And um, that is uh, internet radio. So it means you don't have to put up with PSAs or commercials. It's just all music curated for two hours with minimal me yapping. All right. And I'm going to say really quickly that you should go and look for our other two co-hosts, Stephanie Seymour. You find her website at therearebirds.com and Anthony Williams. His website is watchersinthefourthdimension.com. That's a podcast. Hers is music. Go look for those things. And for me, I have got a little website called cosmiccreative.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com. And I've got books and podcasts listed there. Go check it out. All right, Mr. Rob, I will see you again next week. And at least the plan right now is that we'll have all four of us together, which I'm looking forward to, talking about hypnosis. So we'll see everybody again then. Take care. Have a great week. Keep rocking on. And see you soon. Aloha. Aloha. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.